Uh, you're listening to an online podcast international in uh, this series we talk to cybersecurity experts all over the world to discuss cyber domain of the war make new connections for ukrainian infosec community and learn from our colleagues abroad our guest today doesn't need an introduction and uh, i know that for sure because uh, this friday i was over at my friend's house who's in it but he's not particularly in, in security and then his wife who's a teacher and uh uh, and an artist said, oh, you're recording with Bruce Schneier on this Sunday. I got to listen to that one. So, <laughs> so there you have it. Uh, Mr. Schneier, it's an honor to have you again and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, last time we talked at DonionCon 2020, um, also remotely, but that time, uh, thankfully because of COVID. Um, and uh, the interview was uh, definitely one of the most popular uh, videos of the conference of the year. So uh, how was uh, your experience at the conference back then? You know, I tell you, when we're doing those remote events, you don't really have a conference experience, right? You know, you're sitting in your room, you're attending things. Is it one conference? Is it another? You don't really know. So I don't even know how to answer that, right? It's I really like the fact that that we're having in-person events again. I would say it, it. It's always very transactional in a way, right? You just yeah, be like, and when you're there, you're, and it's not just the 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 sessions. It's between sessions, conversations, going out to dinner, going out for a drink. It's a very different feeling than even this. Like you know, we're talking on Zoom. Hundred percent, and uh, we're still hopefully looking forward to uh, to see you in Kiev sometime. Um, and uh, you know, maybe at the yeah, next. Been, I, I've been there a couple times. It's been a long time. Looking forward to coming back. So, you know, maybe next no name con, maybe next no name con uh, after the victory. I, I, I'm in favor of that. Um, so usually what we start talking about, of course, is uh, because these international episodes, we were um, always recording uh, after uh, the war started. Um, before you, we had uh, 13 awesome guests um, who are uh, amazing supporters and amazing um, um, uh, professionals. And um, what we typically ask uh, and start from is what surprised you the most uh, about the Russian cyber attacks against Ukraine after the war? Because obviously everyone in security, everyone is aware of a uh, long history of the attacks, but what surprised you the most uh, since the war started? Yeah, I think I'm saying to say the same thing that everyone else said, it's how ineffective they were. That we in the community really thought that warfare from now on would include a, a strong cyber component, that it would be a part of war from now until forever. And it seemed that, you know, in the run up to the war, different, right? What happened a few years ago, what even happened, uh, you know, at the start of the war with the Starling terminals, uh, the other terminals, right? It was different. But once the war starts, there's very little in terms of, of, of activity in the cyber domain. And I think that surprised a lot of us. We really expected it to be more of a of a thing, yeah, and since then we've thought about it and we have theories. But it, I think it, it it was a surprise, and it continues to be a surprise. And uh, some people believe that uh, you know, oh, we're just not seeing everything, and uh, there still may be uh, some devastating attacks that are just not visible at the moment. To be honest, I'm skeptical. I believe that uh, at this point, uh, Russia would do everything that they can. And if they could, they would do um, attacks. But I, I'm uh, interested. What do you think on this? I think you're right. I think I mean, devastating by definition is visible. Right? It's not going to be devastating unless you can see it. And here we are over a year in and we haven't really seen much. I mean, there are a couple of things. There, I think there are a few things going on. I think Russia is still a little concerned about spillover. No, and but they are they are they are engaging in cyber operations against other countries and you know NATO countries that are supporting mm -hmm. the Ukraine, whether it's sort of in the oil industry or logistics. So I think we are seeing those those happen. Um, I think what we we've learned is that once the shooting starts and the bombing starts, that a cyber attack is, isn't that interesting. It's much more effective to go in and shell a power plant or an airport. Or something like that but i think we are seeing operations to kind of disrupt the flow of of aid 
into the Ukraine. And I, I don't think we talk about that a lot. They're not happening in the Ukraine. They're happening in Poland and Germany right. you know, and other countries. So I think there's that, that that's also true. I think there are, you know, I don't know this, but I think there are attacks against the Ukraine that happen and are successful. But I think the Ukraine very smartly is limiting media coverage of those. Like, you know, why, right? you know, why give publicity to the successes? So I think things are going on that we don't know about. And uh, I heard that from someone who I trust. So I'll leave it, leave it at that. But so yeah, you would it's say- It's really interesting to see the, the lack of, of cyber. I mean, in the beginning, it made sense. Now, you know, Putin is very secretive about his plans. We know that cyber attacks take a long time to plan. You don't tell your generals what you're doing, they're not able to plan. I think that was very much a, a limiting factor in the beginning, that it just didn't have anything ready. But you make the important point is they ha- they've had a year now. Right? They've yeah. had a year to figure stuff out, and the fact that we still don't see anything implies there's really nothing there. Don't you think uh, they are more focused on uh, collection operations currently? So I think that's true, although, you know, so, so we, we learn a lot about, I mean, certainly Ukraine did some really excellent collection against the Russians. Uh, we do know that uh, there are times when Ukraine is retreating from an area that they will destroy cell towers rather than let them fall into Russian hands. So there is information warfare happening. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there is intelligence gathering on both sides. Uh, we're not going to hear about it. I mean, those operations are tend to be very secret. You know, if I'm listening to your command and control, I'm not going to say anything. I, I, I mean, I might not use the information I have because it's such mm-hmm. a valuable channel. So that's the kind of thing we'll only learn in history. But certainly both sides are, are, are trying to listen. Right. Russia has all of its, you know, internal internal abilities. Ukraine has its abilities, you know, which I think it learned a lot in the the five years before seven, ten years right, before the the invasion. And also, Ukraine is getting help from Microsoft, from Google, from other NATO countries. Right. So there is a lot of aid. I think that's also very valuable. Some really interesting reports coming out, like in the past couple of weeks. Uh, Google had one. There was one that came out of, I think, Anissa in Europe about what's going on. And, and it's a lot. I haven't read it all yet. But I really, I mean, history, we're going to learn a lot in history. But when this is over, 10 years on, I think history will teach us a lot about this really being the first cyber war. Right? It was not Russia attacking Estonia in 2004. This is really the first information war and how ineffective it is, I think is important. Uh, that's true. And uh, I think uh, in some of our very first uh, uh, episodes, we uh, shared the um, the image of, um, uh, Vlad will remember better who who did the analysis, but it was about the intensity of attacks, uh, you know, on a time scale. And there were consistent attacks before the war, but like February 24, it just explodes and it was pretty consistent for at least, I think it was like back in March. So for several months, they were very intense, even though we only heard about a few of them, like Vyasat and, you know, the big ones, but then, and, and in the beginning, and then later they kind of faded away. I still had some, uh, heard some, uh, uh, you know, uh, things happening from here and there in my home city uh, or town rather, it's pretty small. Uh, there was an internet provider that hacked, but, you know, they just sent SMS messages uh, with uh, like Russian agenda and but no one everyone ignored it and that's basically it um, I'm pretty sure we'll probably learn more uh, like you said about the capabilities for for uh, data collection but that'll that will take time yeah I think the story not being talked about are the disruptions in the supply chain mm-hmm. outside the Ukraine to companies and countries that are supporting the Ukraine and that's much more subtle that's not destructive in the same way. And I but guess harder we, to achieve. We learned from things like NotPetya that Russia is, you know, can be pretty indiscriminate when it wants to launch an attack of where the 
where the spillover is. But I think now it's the calculus is a little bit different. This is this is a very hard. This is hard to analyze. I think we just know so little, and we're just doing so much speculation. Yeah. It's really hard to know what's happening. Uh, Biden administration actually recently released new uh, national cyber strategy for for the U.S., uh, which includes um, shift to more offensive cyber uh, actions and cyber operations. What's uh, what's your opinion about uh, this in particular, and uh, you know the idea of cybersecurity strategy in general? So we this is Biden's cyber strategy. This is not the first. We get one every few years. Right, every president. I think Obama was a book, you know, the second Bush might have been the first, maybe Obama was the first. They're very general. They don't have a lot of specifics. Mm -hmm. They don't have a lot of implementation details. It's, it's unclear how much power the president has to implement the agenda without Congress passing laws, without, without a lot of, of work. So it, it's often very aspirational rather than tactical. You can read that in the document. So it talks things about liabilities which I think are real important, that software manufacturers are liable for mistakes they made, for vulnerabilities they leave. But the details of that's very complicated, and that's all left out. Whether that could be done without, uh, without a new law, we don't know. Uh, the U.S. has been moving towards offensive capabilities, really, I think, for the past decade. You'll hear it called Defend Forward, which is, I think, something, you know, kind of Orwellian name for attack, <laughs> right? But the idea is that, you know, if we are being attacked, then we want to take our defense to the enemy. And we, and we know we did this against Russia. I mean, not a lot of details are known. But you know that Russia did a lot of operations in 2016 against the United States in election manipulation. And in 2018, we know that there was something Russia had planned for election day or the week before or something very close to the election that U.S. Cyber Command disrupted in Russia. I don't know. Did they turn off the computers? Did they, you know, we don't know what they do. We don't, we don't know, know any details. There's an example of a, an offensive cyber operation, an effort to disrupt an operation against us. Now, if you think about it, it is more effective than defending because you know you don't know what it is, and defending is hard. Attack is easy. You can disrupt an attack in progress or before it occurs. That is very valuable. That stuff is very very shrouded in secrecy, so we know we have no details, right? I mean, is the United States assisting the Ukraine in disrupting Russian cyber capabilities inside Russia? I don't know. I mean, you don't know. We don't know. Yeah, that's possible. Russia, UK, you know, just a, another country. Is Ukraine doing that? And themselves going into Russia and disrupting? We won't tell. <laughs> right. And, 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 and so this is rightfully a secret. And, and this is why I really say that history is going to be where we learn all these things. Right. I think with cyber, it's um, actually the opposite of the actual warfare, where attacking is actually really hard, with, comes with lots of losses, defending is easier. With cyber, it's the opposite. Um, so uh, that kind of naturally makes sense, I think. Yeah, it's technically if, hard. It's often can be operational. Sorry, it's technically easy. Often can be operationally hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're in a war, and that's very different. But when you think about Stuxnet, U.S. and Israel launches a cyber attack against the Iranian nuclear power plant. And that was a lot of work, both writing the, the exploit, right, writing the attack, and then the legal authorities and all the, all the paperwork that is inherited when the United States does something like this. And that's very difficult. So, you, you know, the U.S. president can't just say, you know, launch this and suddenly happens. There's a famous story that after North Korea attacked uh, Sony, right, so 2014, I think that's the year. North Korea attacks the United States, and uh, President Obama brings Admiral Rogers, who is Admiral of Cyber Command, uh, and says, what can we do in retaliation? And Rogers says, give me a year, and I'll give you an attack. My president says, I don't have a year. What do you have now? The answer was nothing. Right? So, so attack is actually hard to, to get it together to do, but in the moment, tactically, Hacking is easier than defending.
it is easier to attack a network than defend a network. And that's, I think, you know, true, has been true since the beginning and it'll be true for a long time. So that's why you're seeing defense that really looks like offense. Because the easiest defense is, is a counterattack. Right. Vlad, uh, you had something? Yeah, yeah. Just going back to the uh, strategy. Mm. Uh, I just would like to hear your opinion about the one pretty innovative tool that uh, the administration is trying to introduce, basically introducing it. I don't know what will be the details of implementation, but um, the concept is really uh, appealing, I would say. So this concept of uh, safe haven, compliance safe haven, right? So uh, for the companies that demonstrate enough due diligence, uh, you will not be as liable as the companies that uh, do not. Yeah, negligible companies will be fined like fully and uh, uh, companies that follow the guidance and demonstrate that they do what they can within um, within the boundaries of uh, economic possibilities. Yeah, so th they will be confined in this so-called safe haven and uh, will not be punished in case of a devastating incident what do you think about that i do not remember anything in any uh, legal framework until now it looks like a pretty good idea but uh, i would like to hear what you have to say so it's not new but the notion that uh, mm. liability depends a lot on circumstance and it depends a lot on on whether you uh, made a mistake or willfully we're negligent. I mean, so, so this, I mean, your mental state matters a lot. And cybersecurity is hard. And the idea that you have to, your software has to be perfect or you're liable, it just doesn't make any sense. We don't know how to write secure code. We have good practices. We have good you know, methodologies. We have lots of, of, of tricks and things we can do, good coding practices. And the idea is that if you follow those, then, then you're doing the right thing. And if there's something that you never could have imagined, I mean, think like a Spectre or a Meltdown, which like was out of left field. Suddenly, now these chips are vulnerable. Nobody could have expected that. You're not liable in the same way as if you didn't install your patches for four or six months. And, you know, you'd underspent on security, didn't have an off. I mean, so but that really feels important. And if we're going to have a liability regime where vendors are responsible for cyber attack, responsible for vulnerabilities in their code, there needs to be some gradient of whether you were willfully negligent, you didn't follow best practices, you just did the cheapest thing, or you did all the right things, but got unlucky. And those are not the same. Uh -huh. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, the devil is very much in the details here. This is not, this is not easy, but that kind of idea is not new. And you will see it in other complicated areas where there is liability, but there is this notion of, I mean, safe haven might be too strong a word, but of best practices that if you follow them, you're, you're not as liable as if you like deliberately and willfully and vague and, you know, vaguely ignored them. Flagrantly. Yeah, That's the word. Okay. Currently reading your your uh, uh, book, Hacker's Mind. That Do I see it in the shelf behind you? It's gonna. Sorry. Do I see it in the shelf behind you? Oh no, no, no. It's it's an audio. I didn't have time to. Okay. To, to the it. Book cover that looks like mine. That's behind you. I think oh, there is. There one. are quite a few. There is Beyond Fear, I guess. Oh, okay. And, All right. There yeah. it is. Great. <laughs> of course. Uh, it's just just on this note, uh, I must admit that yours was the first book uh, in principle that I read about cybersecurity or related stuff. Applied cryptography was that uh, changed my perception of many things in technology. So, uh, but back to a hacker's mind. So, what you describe as a complicated legal framework that might work or might not is a perfect environment for actual legal hacking that uh, many companies uh, not many companies but many legal councils and their offices will be tempted to exploit right so let's see how it goes <laughs> and i think that's right i mean 
this is sort of me generalizing this computer term to uh, to a wide area for so the people watching who do don't know my book. Uh, and in it, what I'm doing is I'm taking the notion of hacking and extending it to social, political, economic systems. So the good example I always use is a tax code. The tax code is not computer code, but it's algorithms. It has inputs and outputs, it's math, and it has vulnerabilities. We call those vulnerabilities tax loopholes. It has exploits. We call them tax avoidance strategies. And it has black hat hackers. They are lawyers, they are accountants. And so, and so that parallel really works. And I do think about these, these systems, these systems of politics or of democracy or of, of regulation or of finance as, as hackable. And, and they are hacked by, by the rich and powerful. Yes. Yeah, so that, it was, I, I liked writing the book. It was, it was really my pandemic book. So it was fun to write. It's, uh, it's did you have some st on strategy or on the book? Uh, actually, right uh, uh, on the book, I have like this tax example is very important right now because uh, still tax return deadline, uh, you know, in US is approaching. Um, but I wanted actually to uh, follow up a little bit on these uh, offensive operations, right? Uh, like when we're saying that offensive operations are easier, right, than defending the network, uh, and you know what kind of operations we are talking about. Uh, because there's also, you know, uh, many limitations on what we can do in offensive. Is it like more about attributing people? Um, is it like disrupting the malicious networks? So, you know, yeah. what can be done there in theory? Yeah, so the offense, I think of it in terms of penetrating networks and doing things. So it's, it, you know, in the United States, at least, the legal regime where espionage happens and attack happens are very different. They are different laws, they are justifications, the rules, everything is different between spying and, you know, destroying something. But technically, they're exactly the same thing. I mean, you, you enter a network, you figure out where you are, you move around, you get access, you, you, you establish persistence, get capabilities. Now the question is, is it copy star dot star? or delete star dot star, right? I mean, it's exactly the same technically up to that very last moment. So even though legally they are completely separate, technically they're, they're the same. So I think that when I think about these operations, my guess is that they're all dual use. They all can do both, depending if your goal is to copy stuff or disrupt stuff. Now in the United States, if you're doing the copying, you're the NSA. If you're doing the disrupting, you're US Cyber Command. Those are different organizations, both in the US military. Remember the same director runs both of them. They're both at Fort Meade because technically they're so similar. I think that's interesting. So I do think that there are a lot of capabilities that everything the US at least has done in the past several decades in the computer world for espionage also works for attack. Uh, so for the, you know, I think by now already quite a few years, you're focusing on policymaking, right? So you, you know this stuff. So I was uh, just wondering uh, this cybersecurity strategy, uh, right? The uh, last thing I wanted to cover is, uh, so you mentioned that it's a uh, very high level, but uh, what would um, what would you want uh, how would you like to see it? Like, would you do you have some recommendations for US? Uh, how would you change the process? Would you add something? And uh, after that, uh, what would you recommend to Ukraine on their national cybersecurity strategies if you have something? Right. So, in the United States is hard because I just don't know the politics, and a lot of it is the politics. Mm -hmm. What what can President Biden do on its own, his own, without Congress? Because Congress is not going to help with anything, even if it's a good idea. And I just don't know the answer to that. Okay. But certainly I like seeing uh, liability. I like seeing a focus on the Federal Trade Commission and unfair and deceptive trade practices, looking at US corporate practices. Uh, I like when he talked about critical infrastructure. In the United States, the critical infrastructure, the critical national infrastructure is in private hands. Power plants, water treatment plants, you know, the airlines I mean, all the things that are critical the internet the telecommunications 
are, are owned by private companies. And, and you know, they're going to need help securing against a Russia, a China, these large nation states. So I think those are really important realizations. Again, the devil is in the details. I'm not a detail person. <laughs> you know, I am a big picture person also. So I don't know, but I, I really, th this is hard. You know, defense is hard. Defense is expensive. And I'm not convinced we as a country are willing to pay what it would cost to defend. And if we're not willing, you know, we're not going to have a good defense. And you think of solar winds as, uh, you know, I mean, a really impressive Russian operation against the United States. So here is uh, Russia, I think it's the GRU, uh, hacking into the solar winds, which is a network infrastructure company that makes just like network management monitoring software that tens of thousands of companies worldwide use, including 400 of the Fortune 500, most US government agencies, a lot of really big players use it. That company just has bad security. So the Russians hack their update process, put a backdoor in an update. The update gets distributed out to, and, and as far as we know, between 14 and 18,000 companies are now vulnerable. Now, of course, Russia can't like go after 18,000 companies. It's too many. So then they, they're going to, they spend the time picking and choosing like, who they get into, establish persistence. They're there. Now, the attack was discovered. SolarWinds patched the update, but the damage was done. In order to get Russia out, you have to burn down your network and build it from scratch. And like, no one's going to do that. That's too expensive. So I think Russia is still in a lot of networks in the United States from that operation. Incredibly powerful and successful. Now, how do we stop that? You know, any cybersecurity strategy needs to take that into account. And that's hard. There are hundreds of those little companies. You know, when you think about supply chain mm. and that, that make these, these targets vulnerable. I don't know how to secure that without a massive government effort that we're not willing to undertake. That's the United States. You also asked about Ukraine. And my guess is, you know, this is not the point for a strategy. This is the point for tactics in the middle of a war. After the war is over, then worry about a cybersecurity strategy. And right now is, you know, how do we survive this week, next week, this month, next month? So I think, you know, there's not going to be a lot of strategic thinking. It's all tactical. And that's okay. I don't, I don't think that's bad at all. It's a very tactical situation. Anybody who's good, I want them to be doing tactics, attack, and defense for today, not worrying about two years from now. Unfortunately, makes makes perfect sense, and uh, <laughs> Vlad probably wants to show that to many, to many people who are always there's you know uh, we joke when you know uh, even if there is just one Ukrainian, that's too many to agree. Uh, so uh, there is a lot of quarrels <laughs> about it. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's... yeah, but, but today, today we are, we are, we are gathered for another reason. So <laughs> let's not argue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no, I, th I think uh, that uh, perfectly describes it. Where just entire society try to do whatever they can. Some things mm -hmm. are right. Some things are maybe wasteful. But uh, at the end of the day, everyone's just trying to do whatever they can. Yeah. Um, so. Um, uh, thanks, uh, thanks for your opinion. And uh, so now we can go uh, back to the book. So I was wondering, it's like you mentioned just before, right? It's a perfect example of big picture book, right? Because you start from hacking systems and then, uh, I mean, in traditional uh, sense, and then you move to hacking political systems, legal systems, and cognitive systems. You also talk about AI. Uh, so were you inspired to this book, you know, started from event of 2016? Or was it, did you have the idea to write the book even before that? Think about that. I really started working on it in 2020. Mm -hmm. Very much a pandemic book. And for me, writing is how I think. So I don't get the idea and then I write. I start writing and that forms the idea. Right, so 2020, we're all shut in. It's, you know, not a lot of places to go, not a lot of things to do. I have me, I have my internet, I have my computer. So I'm trying to think about these things. 
And I had, you know, very, you know, the early drafts are very different, I mean, different points, different focus. As we're trying to figure out what I want, uh, what I want to say, what I have to say, like what can the computer security field teach the rest of the world? Right? What, what do we have that we've learned in attack and defense and hacking and, uh, Patching and resistance and red teaming, all those things we do. And how can, how does that apply to uh, to other systems, aren't computer systems? And that it really is, uh, you know, where the book came from. So writing in twenty twenty, finishing it in a god, the years are so hard. Right, finishing in early twenty twenty two, then it's published in. Uh. February, year, right? in spring of, yeah. right, February of 2023. So maybe I finished it more the summer or early fall 2022. And that's about my process. That's about how long it takes. But I don't mean I'm, I'm really the early, early days. I'm just jumping in and writing stuff and wondering if it fits and where it fits and how it fits. And often it doesn't. Uh, in the book, do you do you focus on USA in particular, or um, you know what the, what you describe is also transferable to to other countries, Europe uh, especially? Yeah, you know, since this is this is normal in my writing. I mean, I'm writing globally. I'm writing about concepts that are global, but most of the examples I know are the United States. So I'm thinking, you know, in my book, I use a lot of examples from history, from religion, from uh, different corporate activities. A lot is a Western, a lot is American, but I can I could think of right now an example I use from Japan, uh, from Australia. I mean, so there are other examples, but and I like to use a lot of examples. So the examples tend to be short, paragraph long. It is mostly United States because that's what I know. Those that's where I I've heard the stories. Those are the details. And when I stumble on a story that is not American, I jump on it because I like to have. A more global perspective, but it is harder. Vlad, did you have something? Yeah, just something came to mind. Uh, you uh, have used the term "pandemic book" a couple of times now. Is it a thing? Is it a thing between authors? Because you know that uh, Newton's Principia, yeah, it's pretty much a pandemic book too. It's very funny. Close right, it a couple of couple of months or something during the plague in, in london <laughs> came yeah, out I, with the basis of calculus or, or something <laughs> that is funny I, I i i've heard the term before pandemic book pandemic project where, uh -huh. where someone would pick up a new hobby or something or yeah because right we, we we just had so much more free time and we were otherwise pretty bored and isolated so i mean the united states a lot of people uh picked up uh, baking bread. Oh, like, we actually had a run on yeast in the United States. Everyone yeah. eating bread and uh, uh, flour. Yeah, right. And so, so, so we can't get the raw materials. But no, I, I know people who talk about their pandemic book, the book they wrote during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's not just me. I don't think it's a term of art. Really something good came out of it. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Thanks. Uh, Alex, do you want to go with your question? Because after that, I would move to AI. What everyone's oh, waiting yeah. for. Oh, yeah. Sounds threatening. Are yeah, threatening speaking, about, speaking about AI, by the way, right? I think, you know, Vlad generated several questions with ChatGPT. Uh, for yeah. you. <laughs> it, it was it was quite funny because uh, from the first try, it, uh, it generated uh, absolute bullshit. But uh, it learns. So I said, okay, now try something ironic. Uh, then, uh, okay, that's that's not funny. So it <laughs> keeps apologizing after after every feedback, and it gradually uh, becomes more and more subtle. And sometimes it's even it's even fun. So did I just pick five. But did you ask me my name or general? Because because ChatGPT knows me who I am. You could yeah. have asked for my bio. And it produces something that's pretty accurate, so it knows. You know, its its knowledge base includes. Yes. I'm still looking enough that it knows me. 
because course, over yeah. the course of your career, you gave it plenty of uh, material to work with. Right. Yes. <laughs> and it learns from it. Yeah. It, it also learns from uh, online um, sets of uh, like mass media and culture. So yeah. it even is is aware of your like uh, parallel courses in uh, in in culture with the another iconic figure chuck norris so it, one oh, wow. question was even related to it so <laughs> if chuck norris and bruce Dyer met who would win whatever but <laughs> so it, it knows it knows a lot <laughs> and, and, and it's interesting it does know it mean had had the internet as training but it was cut off so it doesn't mm -hmm. know current events now this is not inherent mm -hmm. in technology this is the way chat gpt was trained you think about the way the google search engine is, is trained it is constantly updated by the minute with new websites, new information, things that appear on the internet. Uh, I'm assuming other large language models will be trained in that in that way. This one was is static. So you can't ask they, it yesterday. There's no idea. So it doesn't know your recent book, but it knows uh, everything else. And uh, <laughs> that's interesting. Do I, I, I don't know what the cutoff date is, but that's possible. I think they stopped at uh, 2020. Yeah, so the corpus was like okay. cut off. But but uh, do you think it's? Do you know? Maybe did they did OpenAI do it on purpose? Uh, of course, it's for, it it right? on purpose. It's you know here's a knowledge base. Now we're going to train it. Uh, GPT four. I don't know if it's cut off or if it is attached to the web. Now we're seeing GPT integrations with various. Uh, knowledge bases uh kayak which is a kind of an online travel agent united states uh -huh. open table online uh dinner dinner reservations service there uh -huh. have announced gpt integration and they're of course going to have the current state of affairs what are plane tickets cost right now which restaurants have space right now they're not going to be static uh gpt4 i don't know Microsoft has a GPT uh, integration into Office. It's called, oh, not called Sidekick, Copilot. It's called Copilot. Mm -hmm. Copilot. There, right. Sidekick would be cooler. Might be cooler. <laughs> a Copilot. And there it's using your information. So your documents and spreadsheets and PowerPoint and emails and calendar and. Scary scary and chats and teams meetings so it's using all of that i assume that is continuously updated okay so i just asked it i asked gpt4 what's the latest book and it says it's click here to kill everybody so all right so it is <laughs> yeah i don't have access to four yet i have my account on three but i haven't done have an account on four oh it's you available to you know, when I tried to register, it was it was we're full, we're sold out. So we'll we'll let you know when we have space. So is there a particular is there a particular question you you wanna you wanna ask, Vlad, from from ChatGPT by ChatGPT? There isn't. I mean, I I, I want to keep abreast of capabilities. I mean, I want to see how how it works. I mean, I really feel like I need to know how they work and be able to work yeah. with them. Sure, sure. It's the future. I don't know for better or worse, but it is. It's be interesting. I mean, I'm 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 okay with assistive technology that helps people be more articulate. You know, I don't want it to be a chatbot that replaces humans in political discourse, and suddenly it's a propaganda machine. That'll be bad. That's a good point. Yeah. But if, but if someone uses it to write a more effective letter to their congressperson, I think that's great. You know, right? You just, like any you just said that, but uh, I recently was in Washington D.C. and I just tried to write a a, a letter to uh, to my representative to see if they could uh, allow me the visit to the to the White House. Uh, I did use ChatGPT for that. <laughs> no one wants to spend time on like writing long, you know, sophisticated mm -hmm. sentences for formal uh, writing. And that's valuable because you use it, you read it, it is. you edit it. It's yours, right? I mean, and then you send it under your name. I'm okay with that. I use it for everything that requires, sorry. I, I use it for everything that requires overcoming the writer's block, you know, because the blank also page language, block for me skills. is killer. You might, have, you might not have the same language skill as someone else. Yeah. 
exactly that's fair just generate something and then edit it out but right. funny thing i just saw a movie her, her yeah so i was late on it like quite late so i just saw it after i was introduced to chat gpt so okay. the funny thing is that <laughs> the job like this doesn't exist in the future no one writes love letters we have we have an app for that <laughs> but it's interesting that's not new so I mean, it's probably the same in the ukraine as the united states uh you know if i want to send uh, a birthday greeting to a friend i go to a store and i pick out a pre-written group a pre-written message i look at the birthday cards and i pick a pre-written message i sign my name to it and i send it and how is that different it's the same thing right um you know, a third party is writing my feelings and i'm just picking one that that matches and then i send it on you know if i go to gpt mm -hmm. and said you know write me a birthday greeting to my friend and here's what he's like put it in the form of a limerick or a song that's that's about the same thing gentlemen we've jumped into the topic without actually discussing it so uh, <laughs> i know it's okay do, do we need to share anything like serious about chat gpt do we have any serious questions before i start uh, reading the stuff that i've picked from <laughs> from machine generated ones all right I'm, I'll, let's get the questions i'm ready for machine this is a machine generated interview questions from chat gpt starting okay. now if if no objections i will i will just read them uh again th these are like selected from 25 uh short okay. so the machine them and, yeah. you, and you so the machine generated them and yes you, yes you curated them i took i took stake in it so i curated it i okay. picked up five because we won't have time for everything but i want to so hear the first one the dumb question too i want to hear the at some point uh, tell me the dumbest okay question no no problem i didn't delete it so <laughs> okay uh, I I I already regretted I told you so <laughs> now maybe if I just read something dumb <laughs> everyone will know that I picked it okay so the first one if there were a Bruce Schneier action figure what accessories would it come with to help fight cybercrime and what would it its catch phrase be yeah it's phrase wow what would be its so was a Bruce Schneier action figure at some point there actually yeah. was one it was, it was like a special made but someone had a company that did custom action figures and they made a Bruce Schneider action figure I I don't even have one that's how rare it is but it okay. did exist and I'm trying to remember so if there were right what accessories would it have it would have to have a laptop right I don't know you want to give it an Enigma machine or a cypher wheel but you want to cool it no, Right? And I'm thinking about this. Right? And what would his catchphrase be? Well, so, I, so I have a couple of catchphrases. Security is a process, not a product. Was a catchphrase of mine from the 1990s. Right? Security theater was a phrase I invented in like, you know, 2001. Maybe one of those. I don't know if I have a phrase. Wait. We still see it every time we fly somewhere. Of course you do, right? Right. <laughs> That's security yeah. theater. That'd be a good phrase. Right? It's not a bad question. It's a weird one, but good. I'm I'm okay with this. This is gonna be fun. What else is it, what else did it come up with? Okay, next. Uh if you go if you could go back in time and give one piece of cybersecurity advice to a historical figure, who would it be and what would you tell them? Wow. Did you ask for like weird questions or like regular questions? What kind of prompt was this? <laughs> oh, uh, it was um, what questions related to Bruce Schneier and his work should I ask at an interview with Bruce Schneier? Wow. These are pretty so good. There was not a lot of there was not a lot of direction there, right? <laughs> These are surprisingly entertaining. But, but then then I refine it. I refine it with my feedback, you know, right, for right, a couple right. of iterations. You know, five iterations. I've asked a whole lot of boring questions. I've never been asked these questions before. All right. So historical figure. I'm I'm sorry, I'm a little bit embarrassed that Chad GPT is already doing better than us. It'll get really bad when when it'll be able to simulate your voice and your face. And be I able mean, we're to getting there. You and you can yeah. like you're not even around. 
we're yeah, already can. there. We're already there. A it's guy possible. trained a model on the job, uh, Steve Jobs' voice and then attached chat GPT to it. And you can basically call a <laughs> bot on Facebook Messenger and uh, directly have a conversation with uh, with Steve Jobs. Interesting. All right. So, so that was all me stalling because because I, I really am having trouble thinking of a good answer here. I'm trying to think of a historical event, right, that I would want to uh, to affect where I could affect, right, with either offensive or defensive cryptography, right. So, right, I, you can go back in time and and you know tell you know someone on the Enigma. I was just gonna say, just don't, don't tell them to use Enigma properly. <laughs> well, it depends. You want to help the Germans? You want to help the Allies? So, so sort of different thing. You want to go back to Mary Queen and say, you know, here's a here's a, like a better cipher, or here's a worse cipher. God, I, I I can't think of one. This is it, it, that's a that's a fun question. I don't have a good answer. It is one that you would like to think, uh, yeah. Right, that's kind of a question you get someone the night before. <laughs> let's, proce let's proceed then. Right, Number three, you've written about the psychology of security. If you could hypnotize everyone in the world for a moment to make them follow one cybersecurity tip, what would it be? Wow, so that's either going to be install all your patches, have a good backup. Use a password manager. Well, something like that. I mean, you really think about the the really basic stuff that people don't. That would have the most impact. Yeah. I mean, I tell you, I I, I just had a computer disaster. I mean, this week has been a horrible. That computer a series of computer disasters. You are lucky. I am here now with a working computer and webcam and and internet. You know, this is I I, I could have easily canceled. And the thing that saved me is I have good backups. You know, when my computer died the big death, I lost five hours of work, five hours of email, and five that not and nothing else. And that's extraordinary. And most people don't do that. And that's like the single most important thing you can do to protect yourself, your, your data. Back it up repeatedly, often. That's, that's very good. Advice. That's very good point. Yeah, very good yeah. advice. And then installing all your patches. And lots of people don't even install their patches, and they're vulnerable to things that are fixed. And that's just crazy. So getting people to install their patches. So maybe one of those two things. Maybe both of them. I've got them hypnotized. I can do two things, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm gonna, exactly. I'm gonna uh, <laughs> He's all the okay, hacking. Number system. four. Number four. Uh, I will tell you later why i picked it but all right that doesn't look very promising from the first glance but still <laughs> if you were to create a security themed amusement park what would be its name and main attraction <laughs> i love all right i love these questions <laughs> from now oh, on gbt okay. will be the only person allowed to interview me <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's 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 a funny question but uh i, I specifically picked it up because it doesn't have any sense of doubt that if there is anyone to create a security themed amusement park it's going to be Bruce that's right <laughs> well, do we call do we call it the security theater or maybe the oh theater that's a good point <laughs> it's already there right i think i think the security theater has to be there right and that because that has to be main attraction right the security theater wow and what would you call it click here to kill everybody <laughs> click here to kill everybody <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that it's a good name but i don't think it's gonna i don't think it'll attract the, the clientele <laughs> in the way we need them yeah i think, I think approximately half, half half of a percent of population right i think we need a, a, a much more uh welcoming name <laughs> hey but what wow <laughs> <laughs> security thrills that seems a little weird uh enigma is a good name you, actually blowfish is a good name for a theme park hmm. or or even two fish 
Uh, yeah, maybe you could expand and have a network and, uh, well, you know, low fish, two fish, and three fish. I'm liking two fish, right? In LA, New York, and uh, somewhere else. Oh, you think you want to, you want to series them? Okay. <laughs> no, no, because just like uh, blowfish, two fish, and three fish, right? Yeah. Okay. So the two fish theme park featuring the security theater. Nice. Nice. Um, so okay, so... Number five, uh -huh. number five. We have number five, and it's okay. about naming again. But in this uh, one, ChatGPT uh, actually resolved this problem. Okay. We, we won't spend time uh, trying to figure out what would be the best, uh, the best uh, name for for what it asks for. But still, it, 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 it's it's a good name. So I just priming everyone right. uh, before I read it. So as a security expert and author of several books, would you consider? writing a children's book to teach the next generation about cybersecurity, maybe titled Goodnight Firewall. <laughs> what do you think about it? Because it almost made me cry when I read it. <laughs> I have, so cute. I have thought about it several times in my career, writing you know, either a children's book or a young adult book, like the teenagers, teaching them how to, how to think like a hacker, or to have, have a security mindset. And I have thought about it. I've never done it. I've considered it. I don't know if I'm the right person to do it. I don't know if I can speak to that audience well. But I think it, you know, somewhere in this room, I have a children's illustrated book on, on security. I have one in open source. People are doing this. And I've thought about it. I've been asked several times by different people. And I've never done it. Feels like not my kind of thing, but maybe someday. I think it is important to do. I think there should be a children's book on on security. Uh, I believe there is. Out of there the is box. already there is only uh, already one on cryptography in particular, and then there are also a few books um, in uh, National uh, Cryptology Museum uh, for you know general security. Yeah, and, you know, and I, I, those old books on cryptography that I I read when I was a kid. There's the Zim book. Uh, I forget the name of it, like Cryptology and Secret Codes, maybe. Uh, there's a, a fiction book, Alvin's Secret Code, which I remember from the 60s, very explicitly. There were books by Dover Publications that I remember. More really set to kids, but I read them. But today's kids' books are much more computery. I mean, those were all pencil paper books. Yeah. And the thing that... Computer books is they go obsolete quicker. And the advice I'd give you today might be not be the advice I would give you five years ago. Might not be the advice I give you in five years. So it's a much shorter time frame. Yeah, but so I, I I do think about it. But nice. good firewall is a different of children's book that I have not thought about. There you have it. Uh, oh, <laughs> that was Sorry. everything basically laid down before you. You just have to step on. The so, but, but I think. <laughs> I think we could ask ChatGPT to write a children's book titled Goodnight Firewall and then go to Dolly and have it illustrate the book. Do you know that already happened? I do not know they already haven't. Uh, no, no, that, that already happened. So actually my... Vlad is going to show me the finished book right now that he just had the AIs write. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I see... Sorry, try to do it until until we until we don't, don't do it now. Just, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, but we'll get we'll get back to you. <laughs> yes, yes. We'll, Ten seconds with the first draft. It's not gonna my, be easy. My former class, uh, sorry, not classmate. My former colleague actually, that's what he did. He asked uh, uh, GPT to write uh, children's uh, like a story for for a child, and then he went to Dali and made some illustrations. And then he used some servers to actually publish the book and did it like in a weekend. Um, right. So yeah, it and had some sense. to write personal children's stories right? so with, with your child's name and things in their life and stuff that happened today. I mean, that kind of interactive fiction, I think is going to be very powerful. It's a little bit different um, uh, story though compared to like email templates that we discussed before, right? Yes. There you kind of take the template and you use it that, that seems fine. I'm not sure if it's fine to like completely take a story that was generated for you and present it as your own. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think you'd want to say you were written with the help of. 
Yeah, I think that's that's how it resolved. They should be like explicitly say that this was generated. Yeah, I think so. That feels fair. I had a colleague who went to GPT. I don't know which I don't know which model, and said, you know, give me a nine chapter outline on the sociology of cybersecurity, and it gave a thousand words, bullet points of outline of a book, and then he took the chapter one and said. Now write me a chapter description of this chapter for this audience, technical, you know, audience. And it gave like a thousand words for each chapter. And he had basically a 10,000 word book proposal. It can't write the book yet. It was just the proposal. Yeah. But it was, mm-hmm. I saw it, it was really good. It was really good. What about like the message like or the story of this book, right? Because uh, in AI debate, uh, lots of you know, critics for uh, this LMM says about, you know, like they can hallucinate, uh, they don't have any kind of aim when they talk, right? They just like to be, uh, the, you know. So, I mean, I, I think you need to think of them now as, you know, an intern. That anything they write, you have to edit and fact check and just make sure it's good. Mm-hmm. Is producing a, a, a mediocre first draft, but a mediocre first draft is an amazing thing to have in your hands. That no work, and you know, improving it and making mm-hmm. it good is a different creative process. So that's my guess is what's going to the way this is going to work. That people are going to use it as a first draft. Uh, well, do you have something? Because I wanna, I, I have a question on a different topic. Yeah, I, everybody I has. <laughs> I wanted to share my experience because uh, it's not a pleasant one, but still. So I was asked uh, a couple of weeks before to write uh, this like expert opinion about what a graduate uh, student of a cybersecurity uh, degree should look like. There is a concept of uh, uh, graduate's portrait or something Yeah, that uh, the academia, the universities are asking the experts in the field and we express our opinions and they then just they take it into account so i spent some time generating these bullets and then i thought what am i doing i have to go to chat gpt and ask it and i did i came to it i asked it this question and it generated the list that was pretty much the same but guess which one was better and Ooh. we lost him <laughs> That happens as usually internet uh, in the United States uh, loses to the internet in Ukraine. It did happen to me earlier today. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see if he can uh, rejoin the link, and uh, you know, if anything, uh, we are almost at an hour, so that that would be it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but these AI, see, AI questions did have quite a bit of success. Oh, welcome back. Sorry, you're, yeah, you're, mid- there we go. Oh, you guys having computer problems? <laughs> exactly. I was just telling Vlad that, uh, as usually, um, you know, Ukrainian internet uh, during the war tends to beat uh, United States internet. In peacetime. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah it was totally my fault. But I bet it's my computer, not the internet here. So oh, okay, got it. We're 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 finishing up anyway at this point. Yep. Uh sorry, Vlad, you wanna you wanna reiterate? No, I I just I just told the anecdote about me doing some work and then okay. asking ChatGPT to to do it, and then uh, it turned out that their variant was a little bit better than mine. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. the thing. Oh, oh, the real value is you and the AI together. What we know sure. at all AI research. Is that the best outcomes when the AI is a human assisted tool? It doesn't replace you, it assists you. And uh, get the best of both. Uh, we briefly mentioned the uh, deepfakes, right? And as they get better, both voice and then video. Um, and I think we might have talked about, like, briefly about this um, last time, uh, two years ago. Um, but I guess not, not much has changed in the industry. I wonder why. Um, uh, why the countermeasures aren't in you know in progress if we have such a big concern and these do get better every year, right? So you would think, but you would think that this is solved because you all, all you have to do is add uh, you know uh, cryptographic signatures in equipment that actually cap- captures real uh, videos and stuff. Yeah, but that's harder than you think. And and you can run a deep fake through an equipment that captures real video. I mean, I mean, so 
one that's not as easy and and two i'm not sure deep picks are that big a problem yet mm-hmm. or and that they will be i mean i think like lousy video is 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 just as effective in most cases but i'm not sure that a uh, a digital signature in the object is going to be the solution i think it's mm-hmm. too easy to hack so i i don't i don't see that as like 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 think about the verified camera i wrote a paper on that in the 90s on a verified camera because we worried about not deep fakes we worried about image manipulation mm-hmm. if you think about it we've had photoshop for what two decades more and we still don't have a camera that signs its images we have dash cams that kind of do signature but that's used more for for evidence uh, yeah, right. right and and they basically work they don't even without it because the stuff shipped live into the cloud so I think what we learn is from cameras that that's not really a useful solution, which is interesting. It's something worth just figuring out why. And and I guess it would just easier be to convince, like no one would be checking the signature even if the technological right. aspect yeah. of it is perfect. So yeah, uh, that's a good point. Um, so w- one thing that I wanted to cover briefly uh, as well on the AI topic is uh, you recently wrote an um, essay, How AI Could Rewrite Our Laws, where you basically outlined the impact that AI could have on, uh, on uh, you know, the process of, of legislation um, and some countermeasures. And um, uh, basically the few, um, the few countermeasures you propose well uh, just to outline or do you want to tell like what what do you think are the main kind of threats that we have uh for uh legislation when it comes to ai and we can use tools something like chat gpt so uh, this is th- these are not gpt uh things these are just ai in general it's <laughs> a series of, of essays i'm writing on how it can affect democracy and i looked at lobbying how ai might affect lobbying and in the, the paper essay you mentioned, this is in the MIT Tech Review, you can see on my website, I talk about micro-legislation, the notion of a very small change in the law that will benefit somebody, you, me, and whether an AI can search law, look for potential changes, suggest them, and of course they have to go through the process to be passed, but you're looking for a change that benefits you but is not obvious, that is subtle, and that really feels like kind of optimization task that an AI is suitable for. So that's the issue we're talking about. You know, and, and the the defenses are are you know the kind of things we use now because because that exists today. It's just a manual process. That's not a new thing I just described, micro legislation. Mm-hmm. It'll just be automated. So it'll happen and, faster. And done much faster. Yeah. You wouldn't faster, have to read through thousands of pages. Yeah. Right. So now we just need lots of open government laws to make sure that stuff doesn't happen. But the, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think about a few steps ahead of how these AI systems, not just large language models, that just produces text, mm-hmm. but the pattern matching, the pattern recognition, the optimization, the hill climbing, how those will affect our institutions. And that's three, I've done three essays on that so far. Right, and I think the primary countermeasures you propose are kind of reduce, you know, size of of these bills to make them simpler to analyze, right. um, transparency in the bill process. So not just like resulting text, but actually like the process and rationale. Right. What is You're talking to who, who, where, like, where are people getting their ideas? Where are the text coming from? Yes. Yeah, and this all sounds a lot like some best practices in academia during like cryptography papers writing. This is important uh, stuff we propose in all of our essays. Is not new because chat because because the AIs aren't changing anything; they're just making it faster, right? They're just making it more sophisticated. They're not making they're not doing anything new. Yeah, and, and like important. you know, provide rationale, no magic numbers, right? It it, it also uh, kind of sounds uh, similar to you know good code reviews, right? and exactly because right because legal code is just code; it's the same thing. So we we need to have more code. I'm going to be less subtle now. We 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 have to end soon. Uh, yep, uh, yes. that, uh, that's true. Uh, Vlad, did you have something? Oh, yeah, I just wanted to yeah to note that we are over time and we must be mindful of uh, your time. And uh, thank I you know very where much you are for sharing this lunch now. Sorry. Oh, yeah, I don't know where you are on this planet, but I'm going to eat lunch now.
<laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Uh, supper, supper for Vlad. Uh, it's actually breakfast for us with uh, with Alex because we we in California. Uh, yeah. Typically, the the questions that we um, sum up with is uh, what would be your advice or message to Ukrainian audience? Wow, I don't know if I I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm qualified to give advice or a message. It's a big deal, and and there's a lot of people rooting for you, and uh, you know trying to help the way we can. It's going to be hard we're going into an election year in the United States, and that's going to make this all harder. So just be yeah. aware of that. And uh, yeah, I mean, keep going. Thank keep you so much. Keep your keep your patches up to date. <laughs> keep it, and and do your backups. Uh, when you mentioned about backups, uh, that I didn't want to. Yeah, I didn't want to like interrupt the flow back then, but backups is so so important because I have so many friends who you know were forced to uh, leave their, their their home and move you know move from the war, uh, and then they realize oh that there are pictures on the laptop, there are like videos, basically all their life is left somewhere, and they they don't have it in the cloud, they don't have it with their relatives somewhere different place, and they basically lost just a lot of stuff. I mean, it's 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 not comparable to losing your life, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's but it. just a simple practice, a simple practice would, would help keep them. Thank you so much, uh, so much Mr. Schneier. Uh, it's you. been, as always, a pleasure to have you. I hope we will uh, talk after the victory as well. Um, Yo, and uh, Thank you to all you three and ChatGPT for those excellent interview questions. That was some fun indeed. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, we always encourage people to help uh, with uh, as a, uh, any um, means uh, they can. Uh, we do encourage to donate to um, uh, our trusted uh, fund, Come Back Alive, that uh, helps uh, tremendously to Ukrainian army. Uh, because I believe like nowadays, even though, of course, you need to help, you know, with humanitarian help, but I think the most effective help, if you want to uh, have efficient one, right, it's uh, to make the victory closer, and then you won't need to spend on humanitarian aid. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. And uh, stay safe, everyone. Thank you. Thank you all.